0: scripture for today is Acts 1, 9 through 11. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Thank you, Scott. Good morning. Ah, what a joy to be with you guys this morning. If you're new here, we're so glad that you can join us. My name is James, one of the pastors here, and uh, please connect with us. I'll be lingering afterwards. With many people around. Get to know someone if you're new here this morning. If you're watching us online, we'd love to connect with you guys as well. All right. So today we are jumping back again into Acts. So we're moving on, I've said last week we're going to start going much quicker, so we're not doing three services in in three weeks in one verse. Instead, we're moving on to the next verse. So we're speeding along. One more verse today, man, that we're covering, the ascension of Jesus Christ. So what are the three biggest holidays that we celebrate in Christian tradition, right? They're going to be Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter are the three biggest things that we celebrate in Christian tradition. And of that, that would include the birth of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection that we celebrate. But how many of us celebrate Ascension Day? Right? I don't mean, even know there's an Ascension Day, right? The Thursday that's followed 40 days after his resurrection. But it's actually a thing. But in fact, most Christians don't really know much about the Ascension. It's, uh, it's not really something we talk about. And for me, even, even in my life, I really didn't know anything or even care about the Ascension for most of my life. Jesus' Ascension, for most Christians, it's just like the epilogue at the end of the story, right? It's kind of that, that addition at the end. It's like, oh, and he went back up to heaven, of course, All the important work was done, though, by that point. So he goes back up to heaven, he unzips his skin suit somewhere in the skies, right? And he turns back into some nebulous spirit thing that goes on for eternity, and we say praise God for all that stuff. Right? But Jesus accomplished what was necessary by that point. He, he retires from his primary work and he goes back and he does this, you know, some interceding or something like that that we all know about. But we got what we needed, right? We got forgiveness of our sin. We got our righteousness. We, we got everything that we want. We got our ticket to heaven. And so we can say, thank you, Jesus. We'll see you there someday in the future. And that's kind of most Christians' view of the ascension. Despite the fact that historically it's one of the foundational teachings of the church. And despite the fact that it's central to the message of the apostles and it's central to the first sermon ever preached in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. But Jesus' ascension has lost a lot of its luster in the last decades as our gospel message in churches has become more and more transactional with a focus primarily on Jesus forgives me of my sins and takes my sins away so I can leave this God-forsaken world and, and go to heaven out there somewhere when I die. Jesus, for many, has become a means to an end, right? That Jesus pays for my sin, now I get heaven and salvation. Many would say that, you know, when Jesus on the cross, he says, it is finished. They would say, you know, that was Jesus saying that he was done. It was, it was over. All of his work was done at that point. And for us, in many ways, we feel it is done, because at that point, we got all the stuff that we wanted out of it. Yet what we've seen so far, as we've entered into this book of Acts over the last few weeks, is that when Jesus ascends to heaven, he's only just getting started. The real work, Jesus says, is just beginning upon his ascension. Because the reality is that Jesus' ascension changed everything. And that's what I want to talk about today. So, kick it off, first couple questions. First, what does Jesus look like right now? At this moment, what does he look like? Is he some kind of nebulous spirit form blob type thing that we can't really describe? Or is he in some type of human form? And if so, does it even really make a difference or matter in any way? the second question is, where is he and what is he doing right now? The simple Christian answer we would say is, he's interceding, whatever that means. But is that something that we actually pay attention to? So first I want to look at right now is is what does Jesus look like right now? And does it even matter? Because I would say, and the scripture would say, it matters a ton. Why? Because the Bible tells us in multiple places that Jesus did not just like float away and shed his skin suit like a snake sheds its skin as he left the earth. But that he remains human to this day in the flesh at the right hand of God. This has been the doctrine of the church from the very beginning. Jesus wasn't wearing a human costume. He wasn't like LARPing as a human, right, or doing cosplay of some kind. Sorry for those live-action role-playing for those that are, don't know what that is. John 1.14 says that Jesus became flesh, or he became human. And at no point did he lose that humanity. The first place we see this in Scripture is in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, what we've been looking at today. The angels say, they say, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So Jesus is coming back in the same way he left. He's coming back physically, not as some nebulous spirit, but as the fully God, fully man, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a bunch of places we see this in scripture and the clearest of all in my opinion is found in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 where it says Paul says but our citizenship is in heaven. Now this is written 30 years after Jesus died or about that and from from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body meaning he still has his body. Or later, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Again, written over 30 years after Jesus died, after his ascension. So Jesus is still a human. He's still one of us. And then just a few hundred years after Jesus dies, uh, Augustine of Hippo, or St. Augustine as he's known, was addressing some who doubted at that time Jesus' eternal humanity being in the flesh. And this great saint of history wrote this. He says in his book, City of God, he wrote, it is incredible that Jesus Christ should have risen in the flesh and ascended with flesh into heaven. It is indubitable, right? That's such a fun word to say, indubitable. That the resurrection of Christ and his ascension into heaven with the flesh in which he rose is already preached and believed in the whole world. If it is not credible, how is it that it has already received credence in the whole world? So a couple points here. First, Can we not all agree that indubitable is an amazing word that we need to use a lot more today, right? Isn't that just awesome? So homework, at your Super Bowl parties, everyone must use indubitable one time in a sentence, right? So it is indubitable the Chiefs will win or something like that, right? Uh, Sorry, Esther. Sorry, Esther. Um, (laughs) but, But second, and more importantly... Here, Augustine is emphasizing, in the year 400, that the entire Christian world knows that Jesus is still in the flesh. So how could you disagree with that? So by the year 400, this was the orthodox teaching across the entirety of the Christian world, that one of the top leaders of the church is saying, this is what everyone believes. This is what is normative. This is what is orthodox. This is the doctrine of church history. Now, we're going to get to why that matters in just a minute. So that's what does Jesus look like, but where is he and what is he doing? Did Jesus just float up into space, right? Right now, is he still, like, shooting, like, a star or a comet through space somewhere? Right? If you were to look at a telescope, could you be able to see him? Like, maybe, I don't know, did, what speed did he ascend at? Maybe it was, like, 30 miles an hour, in which case, 2,000 years later, maybe he's, like, Jupiter right now or something like that. Or if it was at the speed of light, I calculated it out, 2,000 years later, he'd be, like, 2% of the way through the Milky Way galaxy, right, at the speed of light, right? So we can maybe find him in a telescope somewhere, right? But no, no, no he, he isn't literally floating up. In fact, the angels don't say that. They say that he was taken up into heaven, that he is at the right hand of the Father right now. He is with God. And it says that he is all power, all authority. All of that is given to him and that he's still in human form. So check this. Chap- Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 describes this. It says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He is far above, not just a little bit, far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So ultimate authority, 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him overhead over all things, check this out, for the benefit of the church. Notice what is all that authority and power of the king of kings for, of the Rescinded Lord? the benefit of the church, towards us who believe. That's amazing. So, quick recap. Jesus comes to earth fully human in every way, as we've been talking about over the last few months. Just like us, while on earth, he chooses not to access his divine attributes, but he experiences an entirely human life here on earth, where he lives in complete dependency upon the Father through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. He demonstrates to us the life that God intended for all of humanity when he was here, the life he called for us to live, a life that was lived in constant awareness of God's presence, dependent upon the Holy Spirit, living for the sake of the world. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus is then willingly crucified on our behalf. He's then resurrected into this glorified, eternal body, and after 40 days of teaching his disciples, he ascends into heaven, keeping his bodily form. God then puts him at the right hand, gives him all power over all things and all authority, and places this God-man Jesus as the head of all things there in the heavenly realms, but of all things, this world of the world to come. And all of this, Scripture says, is for the benefit of the church. It's towards us who believe. All right? Amazing. And then this is where it gets a little crazy, though. Because why does it matter that Jesus is still human? What difference does it make what his form is? Whether he's still in the nature of a human, if there's a human sitting there with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That humanity is back in the Trinity. What difference does it make? Well, when was the last time that humanity was in perfect fellowship with the Father, the Spirit, and the Son? How far back do we have to go? Really far back, yeah all the way back to the garden. It's amazing. When Adam and Eve were in the garden with God was the last time, back when they sinned and were banished. Back then, Scripture says that Adam and Eve used to walk around in the cool of the day with God, just chilling in perfect fellowship with Him, the way that God intended for it to be for all of eternity before sin entered. And we often talk about how we are created for fellowship with God, that because God is a relational God, and He's triune, and to be God is to be in relationship. And and then He created us for relationship and fellowship so that we would share in that fellowship of love, the Father, of the Father and the Spirit and the Son, and that this is why we exist. But the problem is that Adam and Eve broke that fellowship by turning away from God and seeking to be their own gods and choosing for themselves what was right and wrong They they broke that fellowship. The reality is the first Adam failed is what scripture tells us. We were intended for perfect fellowship and we failed. And often in that garden story, we miss the the greatest part of that story. We think the greatest consequence was that sin came and and death entered and therefore we die and have all the sin. And, And yes, that's horrific, but the far, far worse thing that happened was that our relationship with God was broken. Yet scripture tells us that Jesus is called the second Adam for a reason. Because Jesus came not just to get miserable sinners into some distant heavenly place, but Jesus came to restore our fellowship to what God intended for humanity. So what does Jesus do? He becomes one of us, lives a fully human life, sacrifices himself for us, pays the penalty for ours and Adam's sin. And then he does the craziest thing of all. This man God, fully human and fully God, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven, and sits at the right hand of God. Jesus does not forsake his humanity and leave it behind, but he takes humanity back into the fullness of the presence of God. Jesus, one of us, he says he is our brother, is now seated at the right hand of God. One of us is now back in the full fellowship of the Trinity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Humanity is restored in the person of Jesus back into fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Do we get that? The significance of that. The second Adam succeeds where the first Adam failed. One of us, our brother, a fellow human being, is now the most powerful being in the universe. With all authority and power, King of kings and Lord of lords, far above all others, it says. Far above, not a little bit, far above. Our brother Jesus, a fellow human being, one of us. And what is that power for, verse 22 tells us? For the benefit of the church. He is for us. Isn't that crazy? You ever dwell on that before? I mean, have you ever had a friend or maybe a family member or someone you know well who gained a position of notoriety or influence, and and you kind of, you just want to kind of be near them because they have access to things you don't have access to, or or maybe they know people you don't? I I, I watched a a clip one time of uh, Jennifer Lawrence talking about how when she had just started acting and became famous that she went to an Oscar party and she brought her Oscar after party and she brought along her best childhood friend with her and while at that party they looked over and Brad Pitt was across the room and her friend tells her she's like Jennifer that's Brad Pitt call him over she's like I can't do that she's like call him over he'll listen to you and she says kind of awkwardly she went hey Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt actually came over and her friend was dying as Brad Pitt came over she's like he smelled like sandalwood it was amazing right and And she says Brad Pitt actually came over and her friend was like, I'm with her, I'm with her, I'm her friend, right? That they would have access to that. Now we aren't talking about hanging out with A-list celebrities or politicians or, or even kings or queens. Our brother Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are with him. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. It just keeps getting better. Because again, God's desire has always been for us to be with him. So what is Jesus to? In John 14, 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is bringing us with him. Or as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us, right? His brothers and sisters who get to join him So we can have comfort in knowing that when Jesus returns, we will be fully united with him. We'll have a seat fully at the table because Jesus, the God man, made a seat for himself. Amen. And that's awesome. But it gets even better than that. I kind of feel like uh, one of those late night infomercial people. But wait, there's more, right? But there is, there is more. There's so much more. Because what's so much more incredible about Jesus's ascension is that it isn't just about when we die. Stick with me. I'm going to give a little more theology here, but it's the most beautiful message in the world. Because Jesus does this most amazing, incredible thing that will never fully make sense inside of our human brains this side of eternity. But it doesn't make it any less real. So we must wait for Christ's return to experience the fullness of this union with Christ. That's for sure. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But Jesus has united us to himself, he says, the moment we believe. Let's read how Paul describes it in the book of Ephesians. So first, I'm going to read at the beginning, where he to describe the life before Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. The devil is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So this is how they were when Christ found them. They were a mess. They were dead in their sin. And this is us, following Satan, deserving of God's wrath. Dead. But now check this out. Look what he says next. Verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much... That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we have been saved. Here it is, 6. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, we will never be able to fully unpack this passage this side of eternity. But Paul says that God made us alive together with Jesus by his grace. And then verse 6, this insane truth. That God raised us up, seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. How? Because we are now in Christ. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases, that we are in Christ. We are united in Christ. We are raised with him, that now we are in Christ. Now, here's the key thing. When did this happen? Is this a future promise? Look at the language. Is this future? We will someday. No. It's past tense. This has already happened. Paul is saying this not as a future promise, but as a present promise reality it happens the moment we believe paul is telling them that right now you are in christ physically we're standing here but spiritually we are united in christ seated with him at the right hand of god with him by the power of the spirit and how are we at the right hand of god because jesus is there god raised him and we are in christ with him Just as Paul says at the end of verse 6, we are united with Christ. We are in Christ now. Spiritually, we are seated with him in the center of the Father's presence. Jesus ascends to the Father's side, bringing humanity back into the presence of God. And he brings us with him. The way God intended for it to be for all of eternity from the beginning. That we would be with Christ. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and here it is, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Our real life is with Christ. This is now our reality. Not future, present. We have been reunited with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit through Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We are now in Christ as a present reality. One with him, he says. And we share in the fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. Again, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Do we believe that? Do we actually believe that? Though we are here on earth, the Holy Spirit makes all of this a reality for us. The Spirit makes all of Jesus available to us right here, right now. And the implications of this are endless. I mean, first of all, it means we don't ever need breakthrough to get to God. You ever felt like, I need breakthrough to be able to reach Him? No, why not? Because we dwell with Him. There's no barrier between us and God. We are with him. We are in Christ. If if we feel far away, it's only a feeling. We need to open our eyes and recognize we aren't actually far away. We dwell with him. He's right here. We are in Christ. We are seated with Him. We've been raised with Him. If we're in sin and we feel like we've fallen down a ladder of some kind or down the stairs and we're so far away because of all the garbage and sin in our life, I understand that we feel that way, but we are wrong. We may be covered in our own vomit, but we're sitting in His lap. Our sin is not what throws us out of His room. Because it wasn't our lack of sin that brought us to his place, right? He put us in his lap in the midst of our brokenness because he paid for it. So just because we sin doesn't mean he tosses us away. We are in Christ, united with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes all of Jesus available to us. So if you're feeling far away, I get it. You may feel that way, but it's not a reality. You're in his lap. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That is the real reality. Amen? But the implications just keep going. But wait, there's more. Um, Because of the ascension, the God-man Jesus is on the throne, and through his spirit, he is fully available to us. His power and authority is towards us who believe. For our benefit, as Paul says. You see, this is why Jesus told the disciples, you should want me to leave. Remember that back in chapter 16 of John. Because he says, when I leave, I will send you my Holy Spirit, the advocate. And that is so much better than me being physically with you. And I know we talk about this a lot, but most of us really don't believe that's true. But Jesus knew that he would go back to the throne. And that he would be fully available to them through his spirit. There's this incredible encounter that happens right at the resurrection in John chapter 20 where Jesus, upon leaving the tomb, Mary, his mother, sees him and she wraps her mom in a huge hug and notice what happens as she wraps her arms around him. Jesus says this in verse 17. Don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. What a weird thing for Jesus to say in that moment. Doesn't it seem strange? I mean, He literally just rose from the dead. Shocking everyone. His mom thought he was gone, and there he is, and she wraps him in a bear hug, and Jesus says, Don't hold on to me, because I haven't yet ascended. Because we're going to see a lot of people touch Jesus. In fact, Jesus holds out his hands for them to touch him and touch his side. So why does he tell her, Don't cling to me? Because she doesn't want to lose him. So what's going on? I'm going to quote someone from Kim Teller here, but I'm actually going to be ripping off a few things from him today, but. Jesus is saying this, Mary, don't you understand? You're afraid to let go of me, but you gotta let go. Let me ascend. He says, if you let me ascend, you will never lose me again. Mother, if I stay here, I will be at one spot at one point in time. But mom, if, if, if I ascend they'll never, ever, ever be able to take me away from you. They can chain you up. They can lock you into the deepest dungeon. They can put bars over the door and throw away the key, and I will be closer to you for eternity than I am right now with your arms around me. Jesus is saying, Mary, if I ascend, if you let go of me, you'll never lose me. I'll be with you forever. Amen? Isn't that awesome? This is our reality. Our real life is with Christ and God. Because of the ascension. The Spirit makes all of Jesus available to us. The Spirit empowers us to continue Jesus' ministry on earth. It's so good. Tim Keller says this. He says, the ascension is not about the absence of Christ. It's the increased and heightened presence of christ he is more present than ever because of the ascension where now christ is closer to us than he was to his disciples than he was to mary with her arms wrapped around him than he was to john with his head laid upon his breast you see as we saw a couple weeks ago when you're in acts chapter 1 verse 8 the disciples were looking to jesus you know and saying god will you at this time restore your kingdom remember that they were looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, now it's your time to do your thing. So, so Jesus, now will you restore your kingdom? And what did Jesus say to them? When they thought, like, see, Jesus, will you do this now? It's your time. What does Jesus say? He says, no, I will not restore it. But he says, but you will. Right? You will be my witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples asked Jesus, will you, Jesus, do all this? And he responds, no, you will. From my eternal throne, I will empower you with my spirit to bring my kingdom. You will, not me. You'll do it through my power. And they didn't understand it. They just stare and wonder, and confusion as Jesus ascends, because they didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to ascend. And the angels then asked the disciples, like, what the heck are you doing staring into the sky? And the same is true for us. Keller also says, unless you have an understanding of what the ascension means, unless you have a faith sight of, of Christ ascended at the right hand of the majesty on high, you'll be standing there with the disciples, just staring at the sky, confused of what Jesus is up to. Because the ascended Lord right now is at work. And our reality is we are in Christ. And he continues his ministry through us. His ministry of us being his witnesses by his spirit. Jesus now uses us as his witnesses. As his prophetic voice to the world. He uses us. He speaks through us. For example, Ephesians chapter 4 Paul is speaking to those in the city of Ephesus. And this is written over 30 years after Jesus dies. Recognize that. None of these people have ever physically heard Jesus speak to them. None of them have met Jesus. But look at what Paul says. I'm going to use a literal translation here because it may sound a little funky, but this is what it actually says. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Indeed, if you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Now, other translators will translate this and say, this is not how you learned about Christ, because that makes more sense, right? It makes, it's, it's a weird way to talk. Or they say, that's not how you were taught about Christ. But that's not what Paul was saying. That's not what the Greek language says in the original. In the original Greek, it says, he is saying that this is what you heard from Christ. This is what you learned directly from Jesus, is what the original language is saying. But how? How did these Ephesians 30 years later hear this from Jesus who never went to Ephesus? Through other followers of Christ, through his witnesses, through the disciples. Paul says the Ephesians encountered Christ through his followers, by the power of the Spirit, as his witnesses, we're empowered by the Spirit to speak forth. Or a couple chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul tells the Ephesians, Jesus came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. When was Jesus in Ephesus? When was Jesus talking to the Ephesians? How could Paul say Jesus preached in Ephesus? I'll quote Keller one more time. He says here, the Bible minces no words. If you're a Christian, and you tell somebody else about the Jesus Christ of the Bible, they hear the voice of Christ through you. You're the teacher. We're the teachers. We have the same liberating power. We are his witnesses, continuing his ministry here on earth. Again, back in Acts 1-8, the disciples asked Jesus, will you now establish the kingdom? And Jesus, no, 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 no. You will. They ask him, when are you going to Jesus? He says, no, 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 no. You're my representatives. You're my witnesses. You will. Through the power of my spirit, as the ascended Lord with all authority and power works through you. Jesus empowers us to be his hands and his feet, his voice to the world, to live and love like him, to be Jesus with skin on, Or as the reformer John Calvin said back in the 1500s, he says, we must make the invisible kingdom visible in our midst. And we can do this because the ascended Jesus is on the throne with all authority and power, and it's for us who believe. And we're with him. And right now, now as he's ascended, he's empowering us by his spirit to continue his ministry on earth. He's not done. He's just getting started. Anyone feel a little unworthy of this? Anyone feel like maybe that's true for, for you, James, or true for, for maybe an extrovert or some great, great person of the kingdom of great faith? But Anyone feel? But I'm just trying to make it through the day. Right? I'm just trying to get through the day and, 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 and not injure someone or not hurt my kids. right? I'm just, that's for someone else with extra energy to expel. I'm I'm not a great witness. I'm definitely not a prophetic voice for Jesus. If my voice is a really bad one, I'm too weak for that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? Jesus says, you with the weakest of faith are more anointed than the greatest prophets of all time. Did you know that? Jesus empowers all of us with the Spirit, even the weakest, or especially the weakest among us. We are all his witnesses. Jesus speaks through all of us. Jesus says he speaks through us, even the weakest of us, more powerfully than he did through John the Baptist, when he says that John the Baptist is the greatest human being who was ever born. Did you know that? Check this out. Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says this, truly, I tell you, my, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He's saying he's the greatest human to ever live. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We are greater witnesses than John the Baptist. Anyone willing to say that? Who is? Even the weakest follower of Jesus Christ today is greater than the greatest human being to ever live prior to the kingdom of Christ. Jesus isn't saying we're better speakers, or we're more bold or better teachers. Definitely not. But you see, John wasn't seated with the ascended Christ. The Spirit would only come upon him sometimes. Everyone who calls Christ Lord witnesses in ways John could never even dream of. Do we believe that? I mean, seriously? Who is the weakest in the kingdom today? Who has the least faith? The worst non-existent prayer life? Who's got the weakest faith in this room? I mean, look around. Figure out who it is. No, I'm joking. Don't Don't judge. Stop sinning. Um, But but you hear what what Jesus says? Whoever is the least, the weakest in God's new kingdom. Some of you are like, that's me. I'm definitely fit that category. Jesus says is greater than the greatest ever come before Jesus' kingdom began. Why? Because they didn't have the ascended king of kings with them. They were not united with Christ. Jesus did not dwell with them. But today we are in Christ, and we dwell with him. His spirit dwells within us. Do you ever feel insignificant in any way that you just have a a feeble faith? What can I ever do with this? What do I have to offer? It isn't about your faith and your strength or your power. It's about his. Amen? All it requires is our obedience. The ascended Lord is the one who does the work in hearts. Our job is just to be obedient, to seek his empowering presence, to be his witnesses, and to trust him with the results. I loved Emmanuel's story last week if you were here to watch it. He was talking of seeing the judge come to Christ and He shared it wasn't his fancy words. He was in the middle of a discussion on the fighter points of Islamic law, and all of a sudden, the judge just gave his life to Christ. Emmanuel said specifically, I wasn't even preaching. I didn't even get a chance to share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit moved in this man's life, and he gave his life to Christ right then and there. It's like, I didn't do anything. Well, yeah, you did. You were obedient. You trusted that God would move, and God moved in ways that he couldn't even imagine. The ascended Lord is the one who does the work in hearts. Our job is just to be obedient, to be witnesses. To not just ask Jesus, will you? But to hear Jesus saying, you will be my witnesses as I empower you. And give you the ability to do what you can't do on your own. And that's why Jesus could say the insane things he says. Like this in John chapter 14, verse 12. We've read this one before. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works i do and not only that he says and he will do even greater works than these because i am going to the father all of a sudden that verse makes more sense doesn't it have you read that verse kind of rolled your eyes and said yeah whatever jesus just loves hyperbole and exaggeration or maybe he's an outright liar in my case but jesus wasn't lying He wasn't exaggerating. The ascended king is with us and we can do greater things because it's not us. It's because Jesus is ascended back to the father and all of his rule and authority and power and reign and all of that he says is towards us who believe. It's not us doing it. It's him doing it empowered by the Holy Spirit working through our lives as we are united with him and he is the one doing it in us through us as his witnesses as we continue his ministry here on earth. Is that not amazing? Jesus doesn't just save us so we can have a comfortable life and be grateful that we aren't going to hell. But he's calling us together to continue his work here on earth of seeing the world come to know him. And how is this possible that we can do this? I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the book, in his translation of the message. So This is Romans chapter 8, verse 10, translated by Eugene Peterson in the message. He says this. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, which he does, that he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Do we believe that? Paul's saying it makes perfect logical sense that if the same God who raised Jesus from the dead comes into our life, which he does through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, right? He's saying that's just a fact. But it makes perfect logical sense then, and then just makes sense that the same Spirit in us will do the same things that that same Spirit did in the life of Jesus, our fellow brother and fellow human being, making us alive just like he made Jesus alive. And he goes on, Paul says. He says, when God's Spirit lives and breathes in us just like it did in Jesus, he's saying that's what happens. It's the same Spirit. He says we don't have to live that dead life anymore. I mean, come on. Anyone ever feel like they're living a dead life? Because we don't have to. Because now the Holy Spirit is in us. It says our bodies can be alive as Jesus was. This is our admonition. This is the calling on our lives. This is what the ascension makes possible, that we together walk in incredible fellowship. With Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, our brother, as we are united in him. And it's made possible because we are now in Christ. Jesus is ascended to the throne. And then we get to go out and live and love like Jesus in the world. Becoming his apprentices. Growing increasingly to reflect his life and his love to the world through the Spirit's empowering presence in our lives. We continue his ministry here on earth. Amen. For so many Christians, Christianity often just becomes more about believing the right things and trying to avoid sin and obeying the rules. And it's no wonder that so many young people are just fleeing the church today. Because that's not what anyone wants. But if all Jesus cared about was just getting a bunch of miserable humans into an eternal heavenly home, he didn't need to do any of the stuff that he did. He just needed to be born and then die. And it would all be done. All the rest that he did was showing us the life that he's called us to. And Jesus' longing is for us to experience that life that he created us for. That we can now enter into because we are in Christ. Seated with him together at his right hand of the Father. So no matter where we are at in our faith journey towards Jesus, if we believe in Christ, his spirit dwells within us. He wants to empower us, to breathe his life into us. We dwell with him, whether we feel it or not. He's with us. And the ascended Lord Jesus is for us, all his power, all his authority, for our benefit. Jesus is for us. So I want to finish with that passage as we close this morning. One final passage on the ascension, the one if you could, I'd encourage everyone to memorize. Romans 8, 28, starting here. Jesus says, or Paul says, And we know that in all things God works to the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also would be predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And here it is. What then shall we say in response to these things? No one condemns us. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now Jesus, this King of kings, is right now interceding for us. Right now he longs for us to be with him. Right now, He is for us. Right now, He is wanting to empower us by His Spirit to be His witnesses, to breathe life upon others as His Spirit brings life into us. And I know there's many that we don't feel that life in the moment, and that's okay. We can also say, you know, I don't feel like gravity is real right now. And that doesn't change the reality of gravity. It's real regardless of how we feel. But Jesus says the real reality, more real than gravity, more real than what we can see or taste or touch, is that He is here with us and we are with Him. Our real reality is we are in Christ with God. So, what is God challenging you with today? We've covered a lot, but maybe you just need to sit in that reality that you're in Christ. Maybe you've wrestled with feeling distant and unworthy. Jesus has united you to himself. You can't get any closer than you are right now. Even if you're in sin, brokenness and pain, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior with him, there is no separation. Nothing can separate us. He's for us. Maybe you've been passive and apathetic, living a life consumed by your own comfort and well-being. Jesus is saying there is more. There is so much more. Obey him. Follow his leading. Experience his empowering presence. Even if it feels like he's distant, the greatest saints in history have often gone through seasons where they couldn't feel him. But it doesn't change the reality. maybe some of you don't even know Jesus today. Some watching online, and maybe you're just like, I'm hurting. What you're saying sounds like a fairy tale, that the God of the universe could love me that much, could want to be with me, because I'm alone, and I'm hurting, and there's nothing to live for. Jesus is speaking to you and saying, I want to be with you. I want to restore fellowship with I didn't create you for what you have. I created you to be with me, to enjoy me for all of eternity. If you feel that voice calling out to you right now, I would just say, just pray with me and say, Jesus. I don't even understand what I'm feeling. And I don't understand how it all works. But there's something moving in my heart, Lord, and I want you. I want to know your love. I want whatever this empowering presence is, I want you, Jesus. I want your life, your eternal living water. So Jesus, I want to turn from my dead life and all the pain that it brings, my terrible choices and all the brokenness of my past and present. And I want to turn my life to you, Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my King. I give my life to you, Amen. Let's pray as we finish. Jesus. When the disciples were telling you that they wanted you to bring your kingdom, you told them, No, you're going to do it. You will. And Lord, so often today we just look to you and say, Jesus, do your thing. And your response is, No you will. I will empower you by my spirit because you are with me. You are my hands and my feet. You will. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Open our hands to you, Jesus, for you to use us. To partner with you, to journey with you, to join in with you, Jesus, in your continued ministry here on earth. And Lord, for those who are just feeling far, spiritually right now, give a revelation of who you are, Lord. Open the eyes of those who are hurting right now to see that they are not in a deep, dark pit. They have not fallen down some ladder that they tried to climb, but they are sitting in your lap. And you're right here with them. Whisper in their ears right now, Lord. I am here. I'm with you. And I love you. And nothing can ever separate you from me. No fear. No brokenness. No sword. No danger. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from my love. Thank you, Jesus, that you pursue us. Thank you that we get to walk with you.